0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Well, uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 116, Psalm 116, a trick someone taught me many years ago that if you're looking for Psalms, just split the Bible in half and you'll get pretty close to that. Psalm 116, we're going to be there for today. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said, I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good that he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. <coughs> Father, we ask that you would commit this word to our minds into our hearts. Father, we ask that you would get real personal with us today, that we would each leave here with something, something from you, Lord, given by your Holy Spirit in your word. Something which we can take home and practice. Something which we can take home and believe more. Something which we can hold on to and cherish for the rest of our lives, Lord. Lord, gift us with, with growing as believers, Lord, as your disciples. Reveal to us, Father, your great love to us. Make yourself known to us again this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. One of the things that Kirsty and I are always striving to do is making sure that our kids know that they can come and talk to us at any, any stage. And it brings us great joy when the kids do come to us and they open up and they, they tell us about what's going on in their lives, where they, they share with us the things that, that happened that day, the trials that they've walked through, the, the difficult days they might have had, whether it was a scraped knee or troubles with friends or, or whatever it is, we, we want our kids to know that they can come to us and talk to us. Maybe you experienced that as a, as a young person yourself, as a child once, being able to go to your parents like that, or a, or a family member or a close friend. Or maybe you haven't experienced that. But something that is always true of God is that we can always call on Him when we're going through trials and He will listen. It doesn't matter the time of day. It doesn't matter how long it's been since we last talked to God. He will always listen. I was reminded this week of the tragic and unjust death of John the Baptist. And we read in Matthew 14, it says that after he died, John's disciples came, they removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. And sometimes we can read a sentence like that and we can kind of skim past it, like, yeah, that happened. But I wonder for John's disciples just how painful and sad that day was. John the Baptist had been beheaded, and I wonder just... The, the trauma that they went through to retrieve the body of their, of their teacher, of their, of their rabbi. The pain they would have felt, the, the turmoil, the, the anger at the sense of, of injustice there. How, how they would have felt just helpless that this was done at the hands of one of the most powerful people in the land. And, and maybe just the disillusionment of the fact that here is one who we've been following and now he is dead. It wasn't a good day for them. So what do they do? It says that John's disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. They went and told Jesus. In the same way that we want our kids to be able to come to us and tell us what's going on, we can go and tell Jesus whatever we're walking through. Whatever you've got on your plate right now, whatever you've got on your plate today, this week, this past month, the rest of this year, we can tell Jesus and he will listen. When was the last time you went to Jesus just in that posture? Like maybe maybe you pray a lot and but it hasn't been that posture. It's, you haven't come to Jesus saying, Jesus, can I just tell you what happened? When was the last time you cried out to God for help or for mercy or for pity? Maybe there's things that have happened to you over the past few months or the past few years and these things plague you with anxiety and sadness. Have you told Jesus yet about those things? And did you know that you can now, we might be tempted to, to hide behind the excuse that, well, he already knows. And yes, that's true. But nevertheless, we are invited to, to tell him anyway. We are requested to tell him anyway and to come to him again for our salvation. And Psalm 116 gives us permission to do just that. It's written by someone who had just gone through an incredibly difficult time. By the sounds of things, this person uh, went through some kind of illness that brought them close to death. But you don't have to be on your deathbed to appreciate and to appropriate Psalm 116 for ourselves. This person went to God and experienced his goodness, his kindness, his salvation. And it informs us that we can do just the same. So the psalm starts like this. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. It begins and ends with these high notes of praise. And as we walk through this psalm, we're going to get this sense of the, of, of the psalmist's uh, deep love for the Lord. And it's going to make sense to us why he loves the Lord so much. It's going to make more and more sense of, of, of why we ought to love the Lord as well. When was the last time you just said to God, Oh, God, I love you. As a father, he wants to hear it. It's good for us to say that. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. He loves the Lord because God listens. God listens. If our love for God depends on him giving us the answers to our prayers that we want, then our love for him would be based on our wisdom and not his. So if we only love God as much as he answers our prayers, then that's like saying, well, I know what's good for me, and as long as God serves me as my butler and does what I need him to do, then I love him. But it's actually the other way around. It's our love for him is based on his wisdom. Verse 2 continues, saying, Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. See, God doesn't just hear us in the same way that we can kind of hear that awesome background noise going on behind me right now. The wonderful joy of life kids. It's because Audi's there. It's when Audi's on Life Kids, it's just it's raucous, it's crazy. It's awesome. God doesn't hear us in that way, through a wall. or he actually, he actually turns his ear to us. Like he leans in, like he and makes eye contact. He wants to hear. I, I can't say that I am like this as a father. I try to be, but there's some times where I honestly just find my phone really too interesting sometimes. Or I'm distracted with other things that I've got going on in my mind that I'm thinking about, or whatever it is. And, and my kids are there having a conversation. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And then if they were to say, hey, Dad, what did I just say? I'd be like a deer in headlights. It's like, um, I'd probably just say Pokemon and I'd get it right. But, you know, if that's just like a trick of, you know, up the sleeve. But the, it, 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 God isn't like that. He doesn't zone out and think of other things, He pays close attention, He turns. His ear to us. And because of this, the writer says, I will call out to him as long as I live. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. In other words, since I have his attention, I'm going to ask for more. This is an important part of grace, and we're going to understand this a little bit more as the psalm goes on. But to put it simply, he calls out to God. God listens, and because God listens, he calls out to God some more. Because he has God's attention, he doubles down and continues. God never tires of us coming to him. When we call to him and trust him and ask him for help, we don't exhaust him, we don't exacerbate him, we don't annoy him, we don't irritate him. When we call out to God, we honor him and we glorify him. So what kind of help did the person who was writing this psalm need? Well, it says that the ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol came over me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. It's really powerful language. Death and Sheol, which is the place where the dead reside, these are aggressive and formidable foes. It sounded like this person had had a, had had a very, very close brush with death, or, or at least, or, or maybe else, like had been wounded by some kind of horrible thing that had happened, some kind of horrible experience. Whatever the motivation was. He was walking through a painful and distressing circumstance and that had been twisted into a difficult and confusing mess. Like the, 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 the ropes of death were wrapped around me. It, it was strangling him. It was overwhelming. It was too much. Kind of like, you know when you're trying to you, you go camping and you're trying to undo a knot and it's just like the hardest knot in the world or it's just complex. Like it's, it's November and you've got the Christmas lights in front of you and you're like, how am I going to do this? And you start thinking about the Bunnings sale. Like, oh, it would be so much easier well his he wasn't just dealing with a knot or a complex knot he was in that the ropes of death were around him he was being overwhelmed by that when we whether we come close to death like the psalmist or whether we're plagued by something else that just totally torments us we know what it is to encounter trouble and and trouble and sorrow And I don't buy into the, well, you know, someone else has has it so much harder than me, so therefore my feelings here are, are a void. My kids know how to experience trouble and sorrow. They've experienced trouble and sorrow. We all experience trouble and sorrow of some sort. It might be an illness, a recurring ailment, something that just won't go away that the doctors don't know what it is. It could be depression and anxiety, things that many of us know all too well about. It might be the reminder of some sin in our past, whether it's a sin that we've committed or that was committed against us, but we continue to be plagued and tormented, like our minds are strangled, our memories are strangled by the very memories of that thing. It could be a strained relationship, like just someone who... One, there's just regrets there. Guilt over past failure. It could be the exacerbation of just ongoing turmoil in your life, just thing after thing after thing. Or behavioral issues in kids, or a boss who's horrible, whatever it is. This psalmist is talking about all of those things that wake us up at 2 in the morning. Or the things that when we do wake up in the, in the middle of the night, these things enter our mind and they're, they're somehow so much worse, so much harder to deal with, and we can't get them out of our minds. They prevent us from getting back to sleep. What, what is it for you? What, what causes that kind of anxiety and turmoil? It was actually one of those 2 a.m. moments for me a few weeks ago. And by God's grace, I, I turned to Psalm 116 and read it and found immense comfort in it and thought, man, I just want to share this with the church. If you're walking through a season like that, keep a Bible next to your bed. Not a Bible app, don't do that. Keep a Bible next to your bed and bookmark Psalm 116. It's written for those moments. see, the Bible doesn't hold back when with its honesty about the reality of life. And I love that. God's word does not pull its punches because God knows us. He invites us, he requests us to call on him. And this is how the psalm directs us forward. He says, Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. And this is one thing we can pray in the middle of the night. Lord, save me. And it's helpful that the word, when he says me, the word behind me, that word is the word for soul, nefesh. It's the essence of the person who I am deep down. So he he's wasn't just crying out for physical healing, but that God would arrive at the doorstep of the deepest part of him and save him there. He says, I can't rescue myself. I need someone to save me, specifically the Lord, the name of the Lord. Not just anyone, but the Lord. You see, calling on the Lord, and he says, the name of the Lord is a calling for God to be God. For God to do what he said he would do. For God to be what he said he would be. That's what the name the Lord means. It's personal, it's important. It's not just in your Bibles, it's probably translated, it's probably written in all capitals L O R D. It's the word that translates the, uh, the word Yahweh. It indicates that it's translating the personal name of God. The way that God decided to make himself known. It's a cry here for God to make himself known in this moment. And he does so. And, and that seems to land for this writer because he says in verse 5, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. So the Lord is gracious and righteous, our God is compassionate. And those three words, gracious and righteous and compassionate, they become really, really important in the Bible when you zoom out because those are the three words that God uses. Those are the three things that God uses to identify himself with his people. You see, there's this moment uh, in the book of Exodus, not long after Israel, after God has rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and the people are out in the desert, and they're being ridiculous. Like absolutely ridiculous. There's this moment where Aaron, like Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law from God and, and the people are getting kind of frustrated because Moses takes a long time. So they say to Aaron, Aaron, could you, could you make us some gods? And so Aaron collects all the gold earrings from them and gold jewelry and he puts it into a fire and then fashions it. He, he carves it into a golden calf and then says, this is your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt. And if you've been reading through Exodus, you're just like, What? Like, Aaron, have you been asleep for the past six weeks? Have you not seen what's happened? Like, the whole pardon of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. And Aaron's like, this gold thing that I just made, that was, that's what saved you. Like, you read, like, I, I find Aaron one of the most fascinating characters. He's just a dope. And, and I connect with him so much. <laughs> like, Moses' getting frustrated with him. He gets frustrated with Aaron. And actually, it says to Aaron, Aaron, what did you do? He calls Aaron to account. Aaron even says, um, I just put the gold earring in and out this, out, out, the gold in and out came this calf. Like, like, my kids use the same kind. Like, no one's believing that, Aaron. No one's believing you, Aaron. My kids use the same thing. Like, I was just punching the air, and he walked into my fists. Like, that's just how it happened. Like, no, th- no you actually did this, Aaron. And so Moses is frustrated and he goes to God and he's wondering to God, how on earth will we ever make it to the promised land? Like it's only been a short amount of time. How are we actually going to get there? And he cries out to God for God to once again make himself known. God had already introduced himself as Yahweh at the burning bush, but now he wants Moses just wants to have another, I guess, revelation of God. He just wants for God to make himself known. He says, teach you me your ways and I will know you so that I may find find favor with you in Exodus 33. He says, please let me see your glory. He he wants to see God. He wants to to know God. Not just know about him, but he wants to know him. And so God agrees and he gives Moses this preview. We get this preview in Exodus 33 of what he's going to say. But then Exodus 34, this is from verse 6. If if you want to turn there, you can. I'll, I'll read it for you. God answers Moses' prayer and he comes down and he visits with Moses and he says, read from verse 6 the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. Those are the exact words from Psalm 115, verse 6. Verse 116, verse 5. Compassionate and gracious. Doesn't just have compassion is compassionate doesn't just demonstrate grace he is gracious slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations forgiving iniquity rebellion and sin he's compassionate and gracious he looks at our plight and he forgives that's who the psalmist is crying out for is God, Yahweh, the Lord. He is compassionate and gracious. But what about the righteous bit? The psalm says he is compassionate, righteous, and gracious. Well, that too comes up in God's self-disclosure from, to Moses in, in Exodus 34. God goes on and says, but he will not, he's talking about himself, he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And this helps us to see that God is righteous and just. We can slip into the wrong idea or the wrong way of thinking about God that kind of suggests that God is this big meanie, he's this big kind of grumpy being in the sky, then Jesus kind of came along. And ever since Jesus came along, God kind of is okay with sin. Like, he's not okay with it, but it doesn't really bother him that much anymore. Like, it's kind of lost its edge. It's lost its teeth. He's like, ah, oh, you know, just try not to. But, you know, I don't really care about that anymore. As if he's lowered the standards. Sin doesn't really mind anymore. But that is wrong. That is a lie. God is Righteous. God is holy and just. And that word righteous is nestled in between the the words compassionate and gracious to show just how amazing his compassion and grace is towards us, that he is righteous. He will judge the world. He will, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He will punish sin. God is going to do that, and that makes His grace and compassion, and, and compassion spectacular. You see, when Jesus died and was crucified for our sins, it wasn't just that God lowered His standards, standards and started disregarding sin. It's that Jesus took the full brunt of God's fierce anger and wrath against sin. He did not leave the guilty unpunished. He made Jesus he, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the punishment for our sin. He did not leave sin unpunished. He took on our iniquity. He took on our sin for every generation. Jesus was how God Jesus is how God can maintain His mercy and justice. Romans 3.26 says God presented him, that's Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the one who is the just and the justifier. He does not lower his standards, but he justifies the ungodly. But here's the thing. I find myself to be just like Aaron and those Israelites. Whether it's through the fear of man or, or impatience, I find myself reinventing God in my own image. Like I know the gospel, I know what's, I know who saved me, but then I often will go, so often will go to other things and, and think that they're going to bring me more joy, more happiness, greater sense of salvation than Jesus Christ. i become just like the dope Aaron. I could become like this dope in the desert and do stupid things. And verse 6, has incredibly good news for dopes in the desert. It says, The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Now those words inexperienced are helpless and helpless, they are just great. The Hebrew word behind inexperienced doesn't just mean someone who hasn't had enough experience, it actually means someone who is simple, uneducated and lacking intelligence. Like how good is that? (laughs) Yeah, okay, I, I, I can fit into that. And when he says helpless, it speaks of someone who is lacking the things that they need. Like, you know when you're in, school, you're in school, I'm not sure if you experienced this, but there was always someone in your grade who every single time would turn up to class and be like, oh, I forgot my books. They're lacking in what they need. They just forget things. Like, they turn up to a wedding without shoes on. Oh, I forgot. Like, just dopes. And can I encourage you, read yourself into Psalm 116, verse 6. Like, if you're going to identify with anything, anybody, identify yourself with the inexperienced and the helpless. Like, you idiot. We could paraphrase this by saying, the Lord protects the dummies. I was an idiot and he saved me. Read yourself into that. Like If you're you're here thinking, no, that's not me. I'm above that. I'm smarter than that you're probably just a bigger idiot than you think. Like, you, you, and you might not have a good grasp on the gospel. You need to understand that we, 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 none of us are experts at accepting the grace of God. We, we need constantly to come back to God and call upon God. And the wonderful thing about God is that we don't have to have it all together to come to Him or for, or for Him to draw near to us. In fact, if we put together our resumes and go, God, look at all these reasons why you should love me, then we're missing the point. We don't come to God on the basis of our goodness. We come to God on the basis of his goodness. And if we can let the truth of that sink deep, like if that is true, and we can just put our hearts into that marinade for a while, and just let that sift down to the deepest parts of us. Then we'll find ourselves strangely at rest from our turmoil. That is exactly where the psalmist uh, experienced. He says, "Return to rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you." In other words, the words, "God is good." Go back to bed. Our kids often come. Into our uh, room in the night, and they've had a bad dream, and they'll tell us the bad dream. And at that moment, at that moment, our responsibility as parents is to help them understand with the quickest clarity that that dream is not true. Like we got, as soon as they say this and this happened, this happened, this happened, we just say it's just not true. It's not happening. It's just a dream. Can you imagine if we were unsure about that? Like, if one of our kids came in and said, oh, I'm really worried that there's a wolf outside the window, it's going to eat me. And we went, wait, there might be a wolf outside the window? Oh, no. Oh, okay, well, we'll have to check that in the morning, but go back to bed, honey. Like, <laughs> then are not going to rest... They're going to be like, wait, I thought mum and dad were meant to, okay, now I'm not sure. And it's it's the confidence in God's goodness that allows us to rest. Because he definitely has been good to us in Jesus Christ. And we can get unconfident about that, can't we? We can find ourselves second guessing that all the time, but we've got to continue to put our confidence in the goodness of God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. The psalm goes on and says, For you, Lord, rescued me from death. That again is literally, you rescued my soul from death. God is good to us for our our souls, for our spirits. He then says, you rescued my my eyes from tears. So he cares about our emotions, the things that upset us, the things that move us, the the things that really upset our, our inner beings. He says, you rescued my feet from stumbling. It's not just just our, our spiritual selves or our emotional selves, but it's also our physical selves. That God comes in and he cares about that. He cares about all of our needs. And this is why in verse 9 to 11, there's this triumphant declaration of how we can live knowing that saving power of God. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, that's not that there's a special land called the land of the living. It's it's, it's kind of like the New Testament expression to walk in the light. He's saying, I'm going to let the Lord determine my steps. I will walk before God. I will walk with him overseeing me. He continues. He says, I believed even when I said I am severely oppressed. Now, that's a little bit hard to know. What he, it's a bit hard to know what he meant by these words, but it seems to mean something along the lines of, that time that I was severely oppressed, that was when I believed. Almost as if to say, that trial in my life only served to deepen my knowledge of the goodness of God. The Puritan Richard Baxter once wrote, God may resolve to save you, not from affliction and persecution, but in it and by it. The point of the Psalms is that God himself is our salvation. And we can know him. And experience his deep goodness, even in the midst of the most horrifying trials, even in the times that we feel utterly alone. He says, in verse 11, "In my alarm, I said, "Everyone is a liar." Now again, it's hard to understand what he means by that, but just get the sense that he's alone, that in that state of turmoil, couldn't trust anybody around him. The trials that we walk through, they are not God turning his back on us. Whatever trial you've experienced, whatever frustrating thing, whether it's been something that you discount and go, oh, it's not actually that bad, I shouldn't care too much about that, or whether it is something absolutely significant, it's not a waste of time. But God uses those times to deepen our relationship with him. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8. He says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God takes our hardest days, and he purposes them to bring us to himself, and to make us more and more like Jesus. So what are we to do in response? Well, this is where the psalm leads us next. And asks the question in verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for all he has done for me? It's a hard question. How do we honour God? How do we return to him in praise? What do we do for God? Well, verse 13 issues an answer. That I think will blow our hair back. He says, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. The question, how can I repay God? The answer, I will take more. I will take. It seems counterintuitive, but this is the first and proper way to respond to the gospel. The way that we honor God's gift to us is to take it, accept it, receive it, own it, and make it our own. How do we honor God? How do we repay God? We take his salvation. We receive and say, yes, I find it hard to believe, but I'm going to believe it. I'm going to put that in my heart. I'm going to just keep putting that in my heart over and over and over again. That that is what is now true of me because Jesus Christ has died for me. I'm now saved and I didn't need to perform or get my way there. I I didn't need to to prove to anybody that I was worthy of it. He just just saved me and it's ridiculous, but he saved me and I'm just going to keep putting that into my heart over and over again. That's how we repay the Lord. The way that we honor God is by resisting that wicked and blasphemous intuition to come to God with a list of all the things that we have done or can do for Him and instead make the grand gesture of throwing away our resume, throwing away that list of things that we've done and receiving His salvation. And it is a grand gesture. When He says, I will take the cup of salvation, it can also be translated, I will lift up the cup of salvation as well, almost as if to say, cheers. Like, I oh, will take this cup, and I'm going to drink it, and it's going to be public, I'm going to make it my own. We dishonor Jesus when we try to make it easy for him to save us, or when we think that we need to give him a bit of a break from us. But we honor him when we take the cup of salvation. We, can't, we honor him by coming to his table of grace and gorging ourselves on it. We come to God and say, please, God, can I have some more? You've listened to me, God. I will call out to you again and again and again. We cannot exhaust or exacerbate God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. The best return for one like me, so wretched and so poor, is from his gifts to draw a plea And ask him still for more. So having tapped the endless supply of grace, the psalmist then moves to the next appropriate action to be taken. He says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord and the presence of all his people. He's received salvation. He's got it. This isn't, I'm going to serve God, then he owes me. This is, I've been given everything by God, so I will serve him. His life is now diverted to serving God and living in light of the gospel. After receiving God's grace and continuing to do so, we devote ourselves in service to God. And that just means simply going, God, what do you need from me? What, 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 where are you going to send me? What, where am I going? What have you got planned? This job? Okay. This country? Sure. Giving this? Sure. Helping this person? That sounds fantastic. Where else do you want me, God? Serving God in that way. But is he worth it? Like there's lots to be risked there. Is following Jesus worth it? And the psalmist answers that question. He says, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. He's talking about someone who has been faithful to God to the point they've lost their life. And whatever is lost to us in following Jesus is not lost on God. We could think back to Philippians which we looked at last week, where Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We will never be able to put God in our debt. The reward that we will receive on the other side of eternity far outshines any cost on this side. And so the psalmist reiterates his position, Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. God has loosened our bonds. He has set us free. He has set us free from sin. He has set us free from shame. He has set us free from guilt. He has set us free from from sin having the final say over our lives. And that frees us up to willingly and gladly place ourselves in a life of glad servitude to him. And if you don't like the sound of that, you don't like the sound of what could be risked by following God, know this, that if God is not your Lord, then something else is. And that something else is not compassionate. And it is not gracious. And it is not righteous. So he echoes what he said earlier. I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll see that verses 17 and 18, which we just read, is almost identical to verses 13 and 14, except for that first line, which instead of saying, I will take the cup of salvation, it now says, I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice. Again, this is how we thank God. We come to him letting go of our pride and once again calling on his name to save us. We honor him when we do so. The psalm finishes with this declaration that he is going to receive salvation. He is going to offer thanks. He is going to again call on the name of the Lord. He's going to fulfill his vows all in the presence of God's people, in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. He's not going to keep this to himself. He's going to walk this path now with God's people, sharing it with all around him. And this is why we come together for church on Sunday mornings. We, we don't just come to be spectators of one person doing ministry. We come together to lift up the name of, the, of our God in the presence of other believers. It means when we come to church, we welcome one another. Because Christ has welcomed us. We pray together. We sit under God's word together. We, think, we sing songs together. We sing songs to God. And we also sing songs about God to one another. So when, you say, when, we, when we sing words like, High King of Heaven, my treasure thou art, understand that there was 40 or 50 people in the room who all said in unison this morning, God is the King of Heaven and He is my treasure. That should encourage you there are other believers around you who are all saying, yes, God is my king and he is my, my greatest treasure, my, my value, the thing that I value the most. There are plenty of ways that we can praise God on our own. But on Sundays, we gather for corporate worship to sing to God with God's people and to kindle our flame to theirs. Our saving union with Jesus is certainly personal, but it is by no means private. Don't let the the flame of your faith burn alone, but place it in the midst of God's people and kindle it with others so that the blaze gets bigger and hotter. So as we finish this psalm, let's once again, as we take communion in just a few moments and we sing songs in just a few moments and lift our voices to God, let's once again remember, hey... Jesus Christ has saved us. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then what is, what is true of Jesus and all that he, inherited, he inherits as the Son of God is now going to be shared with you. That is now true of you. All the blessings and benefits of Christ come to us when we put our faith in Jesus. So let's tell each other that. Let's tell each other that by the way that we sing. Let's tell each other that by the way that we sing. Take communion this morning. Let's tell each other that by the way that we love one another in, in, in this church and serve one another. And then it finishes with that great word. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others